uh, in the most recent uh, compilation of APR statistics from the NCA, we have uh, just basically 26% of all of our teams in the NCA's top 10% award-winning programs. And that's uh, not including programs that have 997 percentages in meeting the APR standard who aren't in that top 10% but performing well. That compares to back in 2005 when the first APR was released, uh, 54 of our 260 teams treating it as a 14-team league fell below a 930 score. And right now our lowest score across our entire conference is a 947 APR. So as we support student-athletes and prepare them academically, we actually have done well. Um, in fact, we have no one in the threat zone, which is progress for us. Let's see how long I can draw this out. <laughs> John Duncan was, uh, was here and visited yesterday with our presidents and chancellors uh, to update them on enforcement activity. We had particular interest in learning about what happens next in men's basketball. We also, as I've shared previously, have engaged Evolution Media as media advisors and had an opportunity to visit with them about what's happening around the media landscape. Um, we just nominated a new slate of presidents into our executive committee. I want to thank Dr. Harris Pastides, who retires this summer, who's served in any, num any number of capacities. He chaired the Division I Board of Directors at a time of transition and chaired our presidents and chancellors this last year. He'll be succeeded by Dr. Eli Capaluto from the University of Kentucky. Uh, President Jerry Moorhead from the University of Georgia will be the vice chair. And Dr. Kent Fox, the president at the University of Florida, will be the third president on our executive committee. Um, we did today vote on the conference's alcohol policy. Uh, we had uh, a healthy and have had a healthy conversation and ongoing dialogue. And I think we've been transparent over the years. I've told you when it is an agenda item, and typically it's not been an agenda item. And so there is an update to our policy that removes what is a game management policy that was a strict prohibition on uh, alcohol availability in the seating bowl of our stadiums. We have established a great game day atmosphere. Witness that we've led the NCA and football attendance for over 20 plus years. There's no other conference that has that, that sustained that, that has, has established a sustained uh, prominence at the top of uh, the attendance evaluations every year. And that comes with an intense yet a family-friendly environment. We have generations of people in our stadiums. And uh, I assume at some point the question will be asked, well, what took so long? There's great sensitivity to the fact we have intense competition, but we have been a place that's welcomed rivals into our stadiums. Um, we've also welcomed families and, as I said, generations of people. Um, that discussion has produced an update where our institutions will have autonomy and how alcohol is made available under certain conference-wide expectations. Um, that autonomy will apply to their decision-making uh, on locations in the stadium. We're committed to uh, as a conference to ensuring that the changes in this policy are implemented in ways that respect and sustain 
our attendance success. Again, welcome people as we have traditionally into visiting stadiums. There is no expectation that anyone make alcohol available beyond clubs or suites. So let's first be clear on that specific point. This is now an opportunity for our institutions to make responsible and appropriate decisions around their facilities regarding where alcohol will be available. I think it's also important to note that will be the only uh, one of the, at least the five conferences, and I think it, it likely extends throughout Division One. will have, that will have league-wide conference standards in place. Um, those league-wide standards were part of the President's and Chancellor's action today. This policy moves into a Commissioner's regulation that will continue to be under the purview of our athletics, or excuse me, our Presidents and Chancellors. The policy goes into effect August 1st of this year. August 1st, 2009 is our traditional onset of legislative changes and that's otherwise specified. Herb, did we distribute uh, a little bit more information? So you will have coming to you a press release. Some notes, excuse me, press release on the front two pages. The third page is the updated game, it says game management policy, the commissioner's regulation uh, governing the alcohol availability at SEC venues. I guess they have a deadline. Got to get it on the wire. And uh, I believe you have notes on alcohol change policies at the end to explain the context. Oh, okay. Those are my notes. Well, my notes are what I just said, so there you go. As you digest that, just a few, few observations. Um, we've had a working group that's noted at the conclusion we've spent uh, the bulk of the year in review of research, uh, the trends across the country, you've obviously seen the NCAA nationally at championships loosening its restrictions. We've also monitored the outcomes of changes on other campuses and have drawn on the experience of others. We've also invited folks to, to address the issue uh, to us directly. Um, Make sure that I've covered my points here. I think I have. Did I hear? I think you did. Okay. Um. We also have fascinating <laughs> legislation. Fascinating legislation adopted. Things like campus tours during institutional camps and clinics, advertising during institutional camps and clinics and in-person scouting exception. So Scott, I'm assuming you're asking about the cross-country track and field and soccer mid-year aid replacement, so fire away. You know I'm going to ask you about future gymnastics championships like this, so you know I'm going to ask you about that. But that can, that can uh, I'm just glancing this, maybe it's in here. Uh, any restrictions for student sections? We expect our institutions to review those issues. So when I spoke of autonomy, um, that was an issue discussed and has been discussed in our conversations and institutions 
will be able to establish their own policies uh, regarding locations and availability in student sections. Obviously, you're subject to, to legal issues around consumption, so uh, they are all attentive to that reality. Greg, did many schools indicate if they were prepared to implement this right away, or did some suggest it might be down the road? A mix. And some, I expect, won't at all. And that's not unlike what we see across the country in conferences where some institutions have decided it's appropriate to make available uh, alcohol and others have not. Great. Yeah. Alcohol like presentation, the presence before the vote and things like that? What are the discussions like there? I always protect our conversations. And Ross, we, we had a working group that was assigned a task of engaging and digging deep and they've shared information. Um, uh, over the last few meetings, and it's an important and thorough conversation. Can you uh, explain who was on that working group? It's right at the bottom of your press release. The alcohol uh, sponsorships and ads, things like that, maybe in stadiums, some might say it kind of opens the door for things like that. What is the, the conference's stance on that? We have a policy that prevents advertising within stadiums and arenas. That has not changed. That is a long-standing policy that exists. We also have a policy governing conference championships that remains unchanged. I expect the latter to be the subject of conversation as we move forward. Um, I, I didn't sense right now uh, any overwhelming support for change around the uh, advertising piece at present. Is this uh, an actual vote or was it more of an agreement? Does that matter? I'm just wondering if there's a vote. I just like asking questions. <laughs> it was a simple majority, wasn't it? We, we do vote on matters in this league as a matter of, of was it practice. Um, there are different opinions within a room. Was there, during the study, was there any indication how much revenue it might raise per home football game? Um, we saw uh, revenue estimates or uh, numbers from others. I said a year ago in response to someone's question in the room, if this was simply about revenue, it would have occurred a long time ago. So institutions will have to go through their own modeling. And Jimmy, I think, as I understand the landscape, there, there's no way to, to pinpoint that. It depends on uh, how you uh, assign pouring rights, whether you decide to make alcohol available at all, uh, and where. So I, I don't think that we could other than learning from the experiences of others, uh, start to target exactly what may happen. That would be the work that we need to take place on campus. I mean, was, was there an estimate of like, what did West Virginia make or other schools that have done this? Was there a study that included that? We, we've seen those numbers yeah. that have been reported by those institutions. We did not dig into audited statements nor go into requesting their numbers. And so that, that identifies another basis for this. Um, that may be a part of the conversation, but again, institutions are going to have to go uh, into that work uh, on their own, depending on whether they choose to deploy alcohol, uh, how widely, and, and again, the assignment of those those rights. Great. This has been around for, for eight years. West Virginia, I think, started it in 11. Given the template that's been laid down it, throughout the country, has it been a success? I don't know. Um, as we looked at research, one of the great questions is what happens post-game? We have to all be attentive to that. Um, there are anecdotal statements about in-stadium behavior um, that seem supportive, yet 
some of those stadiums had policies different than ours. They may have had halftime pass outs. Mm -hmm. uh, what what raised perhaps the numbers is binge drinking. Mm -hmm. You know, right before which act, you know, we've learned results in certain actions that are uh, not positive to say the least. Ten to fifteen minutes in after entry, uh, we don't have the pass out policy at halftime. Um, and so I think some of those numbers for others were affected by their policies. Uh, but we've been attentive to the patterns and the reports, trying to learn the accuracy, but also understanding that uh, there is um, almost a public health issue, there are, are, are safety issues, there's a need for responsible deployment. Uh, that is an expectation for our university, one which I think each takes seriously, and we also have the expectation that we'll be monitoring this and we'll be back in conversation. Uh, after football season next year, we'll be back in conversation with our membership after basketball season and after baseball season. Do you necessarily agree that this, across the board, that the experts say has limited that sort of thing, binge drinking? Um, I, I think the, the reports are that it reduces that type of you know, negative behavior, we'll right. call. Um, th there's probably some who debate that, again, not a lot of what happens after the game research was a bit of our learning experience. Um, the, we saw reports on reduced incident rates right. before game and in game in particular. Uh, because institutions could go, you know, year over year. Here's where we were before uh, making alcohol available. One of the thoughts is in a managed uh, situation, there's more attention rather than out in the parking lot. Right. Um, the hidden aspect of bringing alcohol in surreptitiously, may that end or dwindle, uh, that remains to be seen. So that's part of that ongoing attentiveness on the part of our institutions and us as a conference. What do you think it took? This long? You mentioned you're the only conference that didn't have a policy or had a policy. Yeah, people wanted to be careful, and yeah. our conversation probably goes back to 2010. Um, there's great care. When you lead the nation in attendance, you have those circumstances which I described. You cherish that position, and you cherish those traditions, and you proceed cautiously and you act thoroughly, and then you're attentive uh, continuously. And, and that's a, a, a description of what has occurred and what will occur. Greg. Plus, I made it all adverbs. <laughs> <laughs> why, have, uh, why have the expectations at all for schools? Why not let them have their own regulations, expectations? They have autonomy to make decisions. Uh, our conference membership has agreed, if we're going to move forward permitting that autonomy, there are certain common approaches that are appropriate to, to apply. Why? Because we are a conference who's walking away from decades of prohibiting this activity, and we want to proceed carefully and do so collectively. Was there any or first discussion about a wide open that not, not having any restriction on what Certainly in the working group there was that, that conversation. Um, even among our membership, athletics directors, um, some among presidents and chancellors, I think collectively we saw the wisdom if we're going to take this step, which is significant for us, 
that we should do th do so with uh, a responsible plan at the conference level and clear expectations that institutions uh, also have a responsibility for how alcohol is deployed. I, I, I haven't read this deep enough. Does, it, does this open the door for schools to have like an official pouring partner and then to advertise that? Um, our advertising prohibitions remain in place. We that. have um, around uh, the rights holders the, those designations now, but those are outside the playing venues. That outs so, oh, so they, the, they, the they, stadium, the, okay. the advertising prohibition is outside. So if you listen to a radio network or drive down a boulevard in some of our towns, you'll see that recognition now. Could you have an official beer yeah. in the SEC? I'm sure there would be many wow. that would like that title. We're not there. <laughs> <laughs> Could you sell a separate designation just for the in-stadium rights? No, we expect there not to be, uh, the conference expects there not be in-stadium signage beyond the, the place of the availability. I believe our institutions understand that expectation in a clear manner. Could, so there, could there be a Budweiser lounge? There already is a Maker's Mark lounge in this league, but that's not an outward-facing, uh, I'm not, I'm sorry, Woodford Reserve. you got to be careful. Can you please correct that? Woodford Reserve. If anybody was mid-tweet, I think that's the, that's the Kentucky lounge, right? Woodford Reserve, is it not? I tagged the Maker's Mark too. Don't do that. I was doing so well. I, 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 my, my alcohol consumption is limited. I am one who's never consumed alcohol at a game. So the, put, could there perhaps be lounges behind the scenes? So, so hold on, just to clarify, you said you've never had an alcohol, you've never had alcohol at a, at a game ever? That, that's correct. 22-year-old okay. Greg Sankey, no alcohol at a no. game. Because they didn't sell it. But my family understands well. <laughs> why this is a serious issue. You know, we all want to joke and laugh and write stories about alcohol, but part of this care is we have to be attentive to realities in society around us, and some of us have experienced that in our lifetimes, which makes it a lot less flippant, a lot more serious. Can you explain the thought process of limiting the public seating areas just to beer and wine and not opening up to liquor and I think that's straightforward. I mean, if it's alcohol sales, why not just allow it? We had a conversation once where we reminded people, and I think it's appropriate now, that none of it was allowed last season. Now there's an opportunity. And we'll see how that opportunity is uh, enacted on our campuses and how our fans act and react. Um, and there's a period at the end of that sentence. Uh, Greg, you, you just discussed a little bit about this, obviously, but the schools that were pushing this and have been pushing it for a while, what is their platform of why this should be done? You know, why this should be open up to In many ways, I think they should speak for themselves. Um, I'll do my best to summarize. One, we've seen the national trend that it's more available and, and more accepted in, uh, 
and Dennis's questions can be managed more effectively than some of what is happening now outside of oversight, control, and management. That's a learning experience, so that's one. Two, the discussion of uh, fan interest and some level of, of alcohol availability. Um, that remains fully to be seen if, if that actually promotes attendance. I think that's why care is entirely appropriate because we, we need to monitor to see. Uh, having been at certain uh, professional stadiums, you know, it, it can become negative um, when not uh, used, consumed properly. So that's an attentive piece. Uh, the third is we were the, the only conference with this restriction. It existed in a game management policy um, that was really subject to change at the athletics director's level at any moment. And we felt the responsibility to have a more uh, thorough conversation, a more thoughtful process before any change would be implemented. And I think that, that was common, even from those who may be advocates, and even uh, from those who are not. And I think those three pieces, those three elements combined, along with a significant amount of leadership change around this conference at the athletics director and presidential level, that that likely resulted in more openness to, to the revision. Anything else? We did other great things this week. What were they? Well, I went through them the last three times. Officiating. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I guess I, I'm not clear. You mentioned something about the SEC championship game regulations. Were there were there already alcohol sales? Like, well, I don't seek out alcohol games either. Is that stay the same, or is that going to at the present time? We we we've changed this policy to uh, provide autonomy to our campuses, subject to those uh, common expectations. We've not yet changed the conference policy governing championships that removes or, or precludes the availability of alcohol and the general seating area, but we're also in venues that have many more clubs and private spaces than we've ever experienced. So we know that there's, I mean, the reality is there's more availability of alcohol around uh, at least two of the venues we use, both in Atlanta and in Nashville, and there'll be uh, another level of conversation about our championships at some time. Neutral site games in football, alcohol was sold at, at NFL stadiums, correct? Uh, I don't, not at every one of our neutral site games. Those early season games, typically yes. Um, some of the in-season conference games, yes and no. Uh, at postseason bowl games and college football playoff games, yes. Were the reports from those encouraging to adopt this policy? We did not consult with those entities. We looked at what was happening on campus. That was the real... Uh, point of review and consideration. Do, do you think the NCAA's, um, if they're serving at a championship events now, did that sway people? Or anyone considering doing this? That was a pretty big step for them. Um, even the test program a year or two yeah. ago, the World um, you might understand that, that I would receive uh, messages, notes, whatever, of articles whenever the NCAA did something to liberalize the availability of alcohol or another institution at the Division I FBS level provided more availability for alcohol. 
Um, and that's my reference earlier to you saw more acceptance culturally uh, of alcohol availability. So, uh, yeah, I, I do think that the, the fact that it was made available uh, on a first at the College World Series, um, at least that's where I first saw it. Yes. And then um, at NCAA basketball tournament game, including the Final Four, I, I think that provided even a little bit more momentum. And those were learning experiences too, yeah. to the amount of information we might be able to have that access. I don't know what the word is. Were you surprised that it, it went that far with the NCAA? I, I guess. Yes. I don't want to inject. Yes. Okay. Of that. Yes. Yeah. But I think that's also an indication of the changing culture, of the ability or the, the, the thought that the oversight and management is more appropriate. Um, part of. You know, Jimmy, to your question, you've seen reports that it's, you know, high six figures of revenue. Other reports that it's low five figures of revenue at different places. So, you know, that that can't yeah. be a driver. So there has to be something else. That being the management, perhaps experience issue, the oversight issues in the stadium can can interrupt some of the behavior happening outside of the stadium or happening outside that's then that's brought inside. That's a hypothesis. We have to be honest about that. But it's one that it will be monitored. Because the money's not that huge. That, that's my, yeah. uh, well, I mean, people define huge on their own. It's a, yeah, it's revenue. You, you mentioned the uh, site for the SEC Football Media Days will be announced at the Media Days this year for 2020. How many, can't wait, can you? No, I cannot. But I, how many? How, <laughs> how many? How early do you make your reservations? Is it 366 days? <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> how, many, how many cities bid, actually? Offer the bid, you know? Uh, more than one, less than 15, as I recall. <laughs> Can you be more specific? Not right now, off the top of my head. I've had other issues on my mind. You, know, you, you referenced Dallas as a potential you know, destination, or I think it's worth, you know, someone in here has you know, reported that before. Um, I, what, I'll, I'll, I'll own it. Right, right. So <laughs> what, what, um, what, makes, what makes Dallas a viable spot to hold SEC media days? Um, it's in one of our 11 states. It's uh, There's a media economic center there. We play a college football semifinal there in a bowl game. We have uh, New Year's Six Bowl the other two years. It's not a semifinal. Uh, we have a lot of uh, football recruiting activity that happens around Dallas. And we have huge alumni numbers around the Dallas-Fort Worth area from many of our universities. You know, same same basis for playing a men's basketball tournament in St. Louis. Missouri is part of our footprint, and we have a Stanley Cup competitor from the state of Missouri from the SEC footprint where we played our tournament. So these are things that are part of the maturation of a great league like this that now has 14 members in 11 states. Yeah, and kind of to follow up on that, you, you guys have been a... Uh, Texas has been a uh, member state for you all for the last seven years. I mean, how would you describe the way that the footprint has increased? I mean, uh, or I mean, how do you engage that, and where do you think that sits right now, seven years after A&M's joined? I lived in uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth area for 11 years. I was commissioner of the Southland Conference. I had a green 1996 Honda Accord that ended up about 180,000 miles, driven all across the state of Texas. And so I have a, an understanding for uh, the attention there is on football, particularly college football, but also, also high school football. Uh, the economics of the state are magnificent. Texas A&M is a university. Uh, I was there two weeks ago for our, our softball 
a tournament to see the development that's happened around that campus, uh, knowing the growth, but also knowing um, I was at uh, the University of Mississippi last week, the, the number of students drawn from Texas to Ole Miss, drawn from Texas to uh, Mississippi State, Alabama, Auburn, LSU. You know, Texas is a place that's not only uh, a recruiting uh, a recruiting location or recruiting, I was going to say the word, hotbed, which is probably fair, but I mean that's a recruiting territory for the SEC as for everyone else. We also have huge numbers of students enrolling on all of our campuses from the state of Texas. So I think all of that combines to make that an important part of the conference. And I think what you see with Texas A&M's membership, whether it's a Heisman Trophy and, and a, an incredibly memorable performance in 2012, um, the, the facilities that have been built there that, uh, again, help remind everyone of of uh, a commitment, uh, the hosting of, a, of championships on a regular basis. They've been in, in a, a great member of this league, just as Missouri's been. Missouri's won the East twice in football. Um, their softball team and what they built in the softball facility and, and what we'll see with their football facility this year. You know, we we added two great universities and, and playing a basketball tournament in St. Louis is, is a testament to that and the fact that Dallas, uh, San Antonio I mentioned as well, Houston I mentioned as well that those three Texas cities might be a, a viable site for uh, media days is, again, testament to the strength of what I think we've all built collectively. Long answer there. You find something, I'm sure. You used to have star season tickets. I did, yeah. I was part of a group. We'd have a draft preseason. And, um, I think the last playoff game I attended as a residence, the Blues beat the Stars. I went home sad. But I'm happy today for this. <laughs> Chris Zimmerman and his staff were great in the work they did amongst us. And what was uh, what was fun? It was actually different than Nashville. Is all the guys who were injured came to our games. So the guys they were on the road. And last year the, the, the Blues players who had some rehab stuff going on were sitting there. And you know, some of those guys are are not from like the hotbed of college no. basketball. You'll, you'll forgive me for who looked at me and said, "Wow, this is big." I said, yeah, they're big too, you know, but it was, it was fun. It was a fun interaction <laughs> time.